a listener production. about it as the answer for everything. And electricity is motion. It's the flow of an electrical charge. It's movement. And that's the key thing to understand about electricity, because pretty much everything we do with electricity, it relies on that flow. We even call it current for exactly that reason, just like a stream of water. And because electricity is all about motion, it needs to be used as soon as it gets generated. It leaves a generator, goes through a transformer, out high-voltage transmission wires, across hundreds of kilometers to a regional substation, and then a local substation, a local transformer, and finally into a home or business. It's moving all of the time from beginning to end. It's never stationary. Which is why batteries are so, well, they're weird. Because they represent the storage of an electric charge. They do the thing that electricity doesn't really do. They grab electricity and they nail it down in one place. But to take that flow, to dam it up, to contain it in a reservoir, to do that, you actually need to change it. It's no longer electrical charge whizzing down a wire. Instead, it's transformed into charged atoms, ions. So we take electricity as electrical current and we convert it into chemical energy. That's what batteries do. They convert current into chemical energy and then convert chemical energy back into current. It all works. But as with everything, it's not perfect. Even if we had a perfect battery, we wouldn't be able to store all of the electric current fed into it to charge it up. We always lose some energy in the process. That's the second law of thermodynamics, which says that entropy disorder is always on the increase. And that is definitely true when you convert from one form of energy to another. Now, in general, that lost energy is given off as heat. And this is one reason why batteries heat up when you charge them and heat up when you discharge them. Some of that electricity is being lost as heat. But hey, to take electricity and nail it down in place, there's a cost for that, but there's also a need for that. Because we can't keep our electric vehicles plugged into mains power all the time. So storage is key for electricity and for us. G'day, I'm Mark Pesci. The coming next billion seconds will be the most important in human history as we make a series of decisions that shape our future and the future of the planet. In this special series, we're taking a look at the nature of the problem before us. How can we make the transition to sustainability? We're looking at three key areas we need to work through. And one of these is electricity. How we make it and how we store it for when we need it. Because the answer's there 
and the new developments we can see along the way, they can accelerate our transition into sustainability. We know that the big three in carbon emissions are transport. We covered that in our last episode. Agriculture, which we'll be covering in an upcoming episode, and energy. We use a lot of energy, and until recently, we generated most of it by burning fossil fuels. Coal, far more than anything else. So a huge portion of global carbon emissions, and emissions here in Australia, they come from the burning of coal. We've recently learned that just 5% of all of the coal-fired power stations in the world, these are the very biggest of the big, these 5% generate three quarters of all of the carbon emissions in that sector. Now, that's actually a bit of good news because it means the scope of the problem that we need to solve is smaller than you might think. If we focus on that 5%, we get a lot of bang for our buck. The trouble is now, these 5% of plants, they power a lot of homes and businesses in places like Poland and China and India and South Korea and Japan and Germany. These are vast industrial countries with huge populations, and you can't just unplug them from electricity generation. That is a non-starter. Instead, we have to have a think about how we can provide all of that power without burning all of that coal. Now, there are two really obvious solutions here. First, well, why not just go all in on renewables? Now, there was a time when that would have been hard and expensive. It would have meant government supports and low returns on investment. In other words, it would have been a very hard business case to make. But these days, well, that's a different story. 2020. It was the best ever year for the growth of clean electricity, solar and wind, ever on planet Earth, and the best ever year for the growth of energy storage technologies. For the growth and also this continued trend in massive cost decline. 2021 is continuing that. We're going to break more records for solar and wind and energy storage, which is almost doubling annually in some parts of the world. And so we've gotten to the point where... When the sun is shining, when the wind is blowing, solar and wind are just plain the cheapest sources of energy, at least in relatively sunny and relatively windy places. They're just plain cheaper than coal or even gas. That's Ramez Nam. Now, we've had him on the next billion seconds before because, well, he's one of the leading energy futurists. He knows where all of this is going. And for years, he's been saying that the time will come when renewables are cheaper than fossil fuels. Well, it turns out we're here. Okay, so now that we are here, what should we do first? Coal plant emissions range by, uh, per unit of energy, fluctuate the cleanest ones, the dirtiest ones, by a third, something like that. So the key is just to knock out as much coal in the grid as you possibly can, uh, starting with the oldest power plants, because they're the least efficient and the dirtiest as far as carbon emissions, and the dirtiest as far as sulfur emissions, other sorts of air pollution that damage health directly. As the scientists noted in that report, some coal-fired plants matter more than others when it comes to emissions. We want to get rid of the old ones and the dirty ones. We want to get them off the grid as quickly as possible. And surprisingly, we're well on the way to making that happen. 
in the 12 years that we've got before us to flatten the curve on carbon emissions, will we see a significant transition away from coal? Well, Ramez says yes, even in nations that built their prosperity on cheap coal-fired power. The transition that we're going to see over the next decade, the next 12 years, depends both on technology progress and on policy progress. We've already seen a massive transition happen in Europe and the United States, where in the U.S., we're back down to levels of coal burning that we didn't see until the 1950s. In the U.K., since the 1850s, that's how much transition we've seen. And that's happened without markedly increasing electricity costs. It's going to be easier and easier as renewables and storage keep getting cheaper and cheaper to scale them and to use them to replace the dirtiest fossil fuel generators on the grid. And that means coal plants. In a moment, we'll take a look at how we might be able to keep those power plants generating electricity without burning coal. We're looking at how we can generate electricity and how we can get the deepest cuts in carbon dioxide emissions. Now, there's two ways to do this, right? Build renewable capacity. And the other way is to go after the biggest, most polluting plants. But you can't just turn those plants off. It's going to take time and resources to build renewable infrastructure to replace them. It's fine. It's not fast. And we need to do what we can with what we've already got. So what have we got? Well, we've got a bunch of very big generation stations. Often they are built right next to coal mines because that way you don't have to ship the coal anywhere. You just dig it up and you burn it. It's very efficient. It's not very sustainable. But those plants have been there for many years. And all of the electricity transmission infrastructure, it basically starts at those generators. The whole electricity grid is built around them. So the best thing, if we could would simply be to use what we already have, but use it very differently. And this is where a recent invention might be a big help. Our core product is a thermal energy storage module, if you like, a modular brick-shaped component that stores around one kilowatt hour of thermal energy in each brick. And then we use that and assemble that into a large thermal energy storage unit which has the ability to capture and dispatch energy. That's Eric Kesey. He's the founder of Australian startup MGA Thermal. The brick he's talking about, it stores energy, heat energy. We can accept concentrated sunlight. We can accept industrial waste heat or heat from another source. The energy to charge up the storage can come from a multitude of sources. You can think of his brick a bit like a chocolate chip cookie. When the cookie comes out of the oven, it's hot. The floury bits of the cookie, they cool down quickly. Ah, the chocolate chips, though, they're melted and they're molten. They really hold the heat. And the MGA thermal bricks, they're kind of like those chocolate chips. They hold heat. Now, why would you want to hold heat? What is that good for? Well, it's good for making coal-fired power stations coal-free. We've got a partnership with E2S, which is a a Swiss-based joint venture. It is producing the integrated product to place into thermal power stations. So thermal power stations, 90% of a thermal power station produces no emissions. The only part that produces emissions is the boiler because that's where you burn the coal and make the steam. 
if you can transition away from that into a product which takes surplus renewable energy from the grid or from an adjacent solar farm, for example, stores it as heat, you can dispatch um, electricity based on steam that's produced inside the thermal energy storage unit. What Eric is doing, what they're trialing right now, is using these bricks to store heat that can be fed into the boiler of a coal-fired power station, making steam from that stored heat to generate electricity, and all without burning any coal. And particularly important, all without having to decommission that big power station. This is an ideal transitional technology because we can add modular thermal energy storage units bit by bit and gradually reduce the amount of coal which is burned until eventually the whole power station is transitioned into a renewable energy storage and dispatch plant, if you like. The beauty of that is it's not a sudden change. You're repurposing billions of dollars worth of infrastructure, but even don't even think about the money Think about all the embodied energy in those components. Think about all the energy that's already been burnt to make that power station. If you decommission that station, then you're essentially wasting that and you're you're doomed to spend that amount of energy again producing some kind of technology and product to replace it. So rather than asking a coal-fired power station owner to just down tools and blow up the plant, you can ask them to very gradually add energy storage capacity at that power station so that starting with a few percent of the time, they're running off of stored heat. And even better, this means that the oldest and dirtiest coal-fired plants, they actually get a new lease on life. Even for the older stations, though, there is a upside that typically the boiler is the first component or the first major item in a power station to wear out and to start causing ongoing maintenance and and downtime. Usually the generation system and certainly the electrical dispatch and the transformers and all all of that other infrastructure can go on being used for many years. The best sorts of innovations, the kind that people are most likely to take up, those are the ones that let folks keep doing what they're doing already, mostly. And in this case, the folks who own the power stations and the transmission grids, they pretty much get to keep doing what they've always done. They can gradually add renewable generation to get those bricks hot, and they can use that to slowly migrate away from coal. And there's no magic here. Something has to generate the energy to keep those bricks hot. But this touches on another very interesting feature of those thermal bricks. They can store energy when there's more energy than we can use. And that happens quite a bit with solar power because the sun is a lot stronger at noon than at 9 o'clock in the morning. When you're sizing a photovoltaic solar field, you don't make all your electrical infrastructure match the output at midday. You typically make your electrical infrastructure, your grid connection, your inverter and so on. It matches sometime in the mid-morning Peregrine tell us that the people they're working with in the States say that's nine in the morning. So between nine in the morning and three in the afternoon on the equinox, you're unable to dispatch anything more than your nine o'clock output. It's okay. It's economical to do that. 
the, the solar panels are so cheap it's economical to do that, or even earlier. Some of them are, are pushing down towards 7 a.m. That's a resource that that company has and their price or the tariff that they pay <laughs> to fill up their storage is zero because that, that energy wasn't even going to be produced. When folks build the really big solar farms, and this is true even when you're putting panels on your roof, well, they point the panels at a sun that's not directly overhead because the sun doesn't spend all day there. When it's up overhead, the panels produce a lot of electricity, more than you can use at home, more than the grid can use. And we're running into this problem more and more often when the grid just says, hey, that's enough, and basically has to order the generators to stop generating, which is wasting an incredibly valuable resource because it's hard to store electricity. Now, MGA Thermal, they want to get those big solar farms to dump every bit of that surplus electricity into their thermal bricks, getting those bricks nice and hot. And then, after the sun has gone down, they can use that heat to generate more electricity. And this means that a solar farm can be working all around the clock because it didn't need to throw energy away during peak sunshine. So this could be the easiest path forward, the one that costs the least and produces the least disruption, which makes it easy to agree to. And we're going to need some sort of agreement soon because something happened here in Australia in the middle of August in 2021, something that no one had expected. On a warm Sunday afternoon, the amount of electricity generated by solar, it briefly surpassed the amount generated by coal only for a few minutes. But we're adding more and more solar to the grid every day. So before long, every day we'll see more Australian electricity generated via solar than by coal. And we'll want to be able to store that electricity at noon so we can use it in the evening. And if we can do that gradually, well, that's most of this problem solved. In our next episode, we'll dig a bit deeper and ask whether electricity is the big answer to sustainability. Can we make a fundamental shift away from fossil fuels and toward electricity? And will it make that much of a difference? That's our next episode. The Next Billion Seconds was written and presented by Mark Pesci, producer Ed Gooden, and sound production Darcy Thompson. If you like this show, hit the subscribe button. And if you know someone who might like it too, please share it with them. For more about the topics in this show, including links to our stories about the most polluting 5% of power plants, Australian startup MGA Thermal, and the day Australia's solar producers outstripped coal, visit our website at nextbillionseconds.com. This is Mark Pesci, thanking you for listening. Listener.